Hey everyone, this is Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in with us all the way from Tirana with an amazing backdrop in the background there. I'm just waiting for him to grab a cigar and a glass of scotch because he looks so laid back there. We've got Jesse Fregali. And Jesse is a very successful real estate entrepreneur and a broker. He started off a number of years ago in the single family home space, focusing on student rentals. He's then jumped up, bounced up, leap after leap, getting into multifamily properties, apartment buildings, and starting to do some really big deals. So Jesse, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. Pleasure to be here. And thanks for the compliment on the background. I forgot the scotch, but we'll remember next time. I'm going to belt one down in your honor right after we get off the call. So there you go. So Jesse, why don't you tell us a little bit about why it is over the years and over your experience, you decided to transition from single family homes, from student rentals, all that kind of good stuff into multifamily. Why do apartment buildings float your boat? Yeah. So exactly what you said there, I started in the single family space and it was a little bit of a hybrid, you know, as you know, the student rental business can be, you know, quasi multifamily or call it multifamily, and it can be owning just one place. For listeners that don't know where I started was in Waterloo, Ontario. So about an hour and a half west of Toronto, you know, for if you have listeners down south, that's kind of our uh, technological hub in, in Canada. So I was really in a, in a very cool environment when we first started. There was a lot of buzz there. The city was growing and started renting out to students. And what was good for me for future years and actually becoming more sophisticated was that the student residential market was somewhat regulated. So you would have to still go in, get licenses with the city. So you're almost kind of training wheels of, of doing larger deals and making sure that you're treating it as a business rather than just say a single family with one family living there. So that's kind of how I started. And then over the years, it's just kind of, you realize that the economy is a scaler there when you start moving up to larger properties. The reality is for us Torontonians like, you know, Manhattan, LA, Vancouver, our real estate has been and, and continues to be very expensive. So we're not like, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day that, you know, we took down 40 units in the States. It's like, well, depending on where in the States, that might be a five unit, you know, apartment building in Toronto. So there was a little bit of a, a progress that led up to moving into apartments and that was buying condos in Toronto, doing pre-construction assignments, that kind of stuff. And ultimately the move to apartments was the scalability of it. And then I think it was my exposure to the fact, like you mentioned, I'm a broker and my partner, he is a broker specifically in multifamily. So when you start seeing people do 20, 30, $50 million deals, all of a sudden the, the one to five start looking pretty reasonable and achievable. So yeah, that was kind of the reason I, I've, I made the switch. And, and now exclusively, we try to focus on where we can find deals in the apartment world. Very, very cool. So were you already a broker when you first started investing in real estate or did that come after? That came after. It was probably about probably about six years into kind of the investing career where I had a neighbor came up to me and said, you know, he's like, you love real estate. You know, you're aligned with real estate. You're working at a job. At the time, I thought it was all the money in the world because I was living at home. So that paycheck was just going into the bank. And then it really was a, was a great suggestion because it really connected me with people in the industry, which I find a lot of a lot of investors don't get unless, you know, they listen to people like you where you, you talk about meetups, you talk about 
listening to like-minded people. And I mean, we've talked about this before, but podcasts have really changed our access to information and investing. So yeah. Very, very cool. All right. So you got started with the whole student rental thing. You got into a few different things. You became a broker. You saw that your partner was selling properties to, to people and it, that helped, that kind of forced your context to get a lot bigger, I would think. So that's one huge advantage to being right in the field is you, you're not tiptoeing around like a lot of people where they're just kind of thinking about it. You actually got to see people doing it. And you say, I'm sure you saw a few of them and said, hey, you know, they're not the sharpest tack in the, in, in the box there. <laughs> if, if they could do this, I could probably do it too. And then that just led one thing to the next. All right. So tell us about your very first multifamily deal outside of the student rental field, like your first multiplex building. Yeah. So, and that's a good distinction because we would call certain ones in the apartment world that were student residents. But the first one we did was in Hamilton, Ontario. And that was, that was about three years ago. It was a 11 unit apartment building. We basically were looking outside, you know, we were looking at areas outside of the city for the reasons I mentioned, extremely expensive. So what we started doing, we started looking into, you know, Windsor, Hamilton, London, Cambridge, Ontario, Kitchener, Waterloo, just kind of outside of the downtown areas. We found this one off market. Actually, another you know, advantage of brokerage is that we have CoStar, we have Altis. So a lot of these expensive software components that as an individual is extremely expensive. And when I see people on bigger pockets or whatnot, you know, paying for them, I'm like, that's impressive. You have to be doing a lot of deals. But we had that in virtue of being part of brokerage. And I found a uh, property that was off market through kind of developing lists through CoStar. And we contacted the seller. Unfortunately, you know, I had a, a bit of a suspicion that the seller's health was not great. It was an older gentleman who was managing the property himself. So we saw that there was some value add that it was, it wasn't being managed in the best way it could be. Mm -hmm. And there was a little bit of a capital expenditure that, that needed to be done with the property. So we underwrote the property. We basically sent it out for conventional and, and non-conventional, ended up getting CMHC mortgage on it. And that was the first one. And I'm happy to go into any of the details of the property. Oh, no, that's okay. We won't go into too much about that. But I, I guess what I'm interested in, because it's kind of my shtick, is how did you go about raising capital for your deals from the get-go? How did that How did that part of your journey come along? Or do you guys self-finance everything? What? What's your methodology there? <laughs> Yeah, so we are we are still bootstrapping through self-financing and I have a feeling that we will probably after the next one we have a, a property under contract right now we're going to be at a point where it's just it's not going to you know the the reality is you you run out of money at some point. So the way we finance this was actually partly my partner, you know, had done very well in brokerage, had saved up saved up quite a bit of of his commission checks and then on the flip side for me I disposed, did dispositions for some of the properties I already had. And like I mentioned, Toronto, having bought some condos in Toronto fairly early on, those went up seven, eight, 9% per year on average. So I did some dispositions. He had some cash. We pulled it together. We did, like I said, CMHC loan. And then we added, I think it was $100,000 in addition to that of a private loan. So that was debt financing. But I am, yeah, we're at the point now where I'm trying to gear up for the fact that we're going to have to start raising capital and I'll have to give you a call, Dave, and you can, you can show me the way there. 
<laughs> right. Well, I think you guys are already way ahead of the game. You got podcasts going, you got all this, all this kind of stuff. I think you're very, very well positioned to start raising some serious capital quickly. Very cool, Jesse. So, all right, let's rewind way, way back. How did you first get the spark around real estate investing in general? How did you, what was that first property you got into it? How did you do that? Did you run out and get a bunch of education about stuff or did you just kind of blunder your way through like some of us do? What what was your initial process? So if we go way back, I mean, if for me, both of my parents are very entrepreneurial, always very fortunate to have encouragement from you know, mom and dad. My dad was a mechanic by trade. He started an automotive business when his family immigrated from Italy and just kind of seen a hard work ethic from him was inspiring in general. And then as I got older, I realized that they weren't, my dad wasn't a, a landlord in, in the sense of buying apartment buildings, but they had bought land. And, you know, when they had little extra cash, they were, you know, investing in, you know, real estate was always something that seen as a good investment. And my mom on the, on the same token was always very encouraging when it came to that. So really what I, I tell this story, it's when I was very young, my dad, I'm a big car guy and my dad's friend had bought the, at the time I'd never seen a Viper before, Dodge Viper. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds like a silly story, but I remember going to my dad when I was really young being like, Mikey, like how, how does he afford these cars? Like, I got to know what they cost. I had no idea. I was too young, but found out that he owned like 25 single family rental properties. And that was kind of my first window into this idea that you don't have to go punch a card every day or have a specific job. You can actually be a business owner or be a landowner. And that was probably the first time I, I kind of saw that. And it wasn't until years later in university that I saw that friends of mine were actually you know, renting out places to other friends that they lived with, or, you know, sometimes a, one of your buddies, their parents buy a, buy a house in a, a student residential town, and then they rent out to their friends. So once I saw that, it kind of all, all clicked. So you just ran out and so you're going to university at the time, is that correct? Or were you already working? Yeah. So how did you buy your first property? How did you decide to do the whole student rental thing? You saw that you saw your buddies doing that, but yeah. Just run out and buy a house and kind of fluke out or, or what happened? So what happened was once I saw that, you know, my parents, they divorced when I was like 14, 15. So I say that because, you know, first thing I say to my dad, I'm like, dad, you know, we got to buy this property. Like I can, you know, I have this amount of savings. We can do it. He says, no, you're in school. You got to focus on school. You don't have time for this. Maybe later when you're older. So what do you do when you have divorced parents? You go to the, you go to the mom and go, Hey ma, dad said no to something. Oh, okay. I'm listening. So she was actually, she was instrumental in me getting the first deal. And what happened was it was a $250,000 single family house with five female students from the University of Waterloo. I put down, I believe it was 10% that we needed to put down. And I had come up with 10 or 15. And then she co-signed for a, a line of credit. And I, you know, I like telling that story because so many times I hear people just say, you know, you never hear how they got financing. And it's like 19, 20 year olds that are in university do not get financing for things, you know, without some help. And I think everybody had had assistance in some capacity. So that's how I got into our first deal. And from there, and this is part luck as well, you know, our market from there, that would have been 2009. 2008. So from there, the market had gone up and I was able to reposition and refinance to acquire more. 
Yeah, very, very cool. Interesting, interesting side note here, Jesse. And I've noticed this amongst a lot of my more successful clients is that they're either first generation Canadians or their parents were first generation Canadians. And they just, they come to the country and they see a bounty of opportunity where a lot of born and raised Canadians whose parents and grandparents and everybody's been here forever don't see the same opportunities. What What's your take on that coming from Sounds like both your parents are first generation. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, they were, they're first generation. My dad was, he was the first of his family to be born here. So all of his brothers and sisters, they're, they're born in Italy. My mother, she's Northern Greece, same, same thing. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I mean, what a, the old saying, it's, it's usually the third generation or fourth that spends all the money. But yeah, I, I think it is the, the fact that you're seeing it so intimately, you're seeing kind of a, a hardworking ethic and the fact that I think there's a sense that for people that are first generation, especially, it's a privilege to be in this country. I have relatives in New York that would say the same thing about about the States, that it's a privilege to be here and it's an opportunity. And they definitely download that to the kids. And yeah, I, I definitely agree with with your sentiment on that. I've, I've kind of noticed the same thing. Very, very cool. So we've only got a few minutes left here, Jesse, but before we jumped on, started recording this, we're talking a little bit about expanding your context and your and your mindset and starting to to look at bigger and better things when you start doing real estate investing. Walk us through a little bit. You've talked a bit about that, but what does that mean to you? Like this whole idea of thinking bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. It, just to our conversation before, I think there is an aspect. One thing I love about real estate it's it's kind of the butterflies you get when you're doing a deal that's that's kind of pushing your limits and it's this weird feeling of being uncomfortable and excited. And I think the thing that I try to tell people that are getting into real estate is kind of pushing yourself to, to kind of think that there's certain deals that you think you can do right now, or you don't think you can do. And you really can actually go a couple steps further past that point of comfort. So if you're looking at a quad or you're looking at a triplex, and that is where you think that that's where you can do a deal. Think about that seven unit, 10 unit. And at this time, it, it seems like, well, that's just ridiculous. It's not like the secret. I'll just uh, assume I can do it. And all of a sudden the, the universe will give it to me. But the reality is once you start seeing yourself having the ability to ha- buy a seven unit, and that means maybe going out to see it, walking the building, going with the agent, having those conversations, it becomes more and more a part of your DNA or part of your identity. And I know it sounds somewhat far-fetched, but I've found that I have always been most proud of deals looking back. And it's been the ones that I was the most uncomfortable and slightly scared about closing on, right? Because it's- That's not what you said before. That's not what you said, scared shitless. Yeah, scared shitless. That's exactly what I said. Okay, this, uh, I forgot, scotch and swearing were- (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's the reality, David. It's the fact that if I'm in a deal and I feel completely comfortable about the deal, I I know that I'm not stretching myself and I'm I'm not pushing. But I mean, at the end of the day, also just you know, not pushing so far that, you know, when you get burned, you, you don't want to ever do a real estate deal again. I think there's this comfort zone, there's this sweet spot of just a little bit uncomfortable, excited, fearful. Those are the deals you should be going after. Yeah. So again, I mean, for most people, when they first get started. Buying a single family home is a big, scary thing because they've never done it before. So great. That's that's a good start. Once you got that, then maybe you're looking at 
Do I buy another single family home or do I buy a house with a suite in it? Well, that's now you're doubling your doors. That's a scary thing for you as well. So stretch into that. But now you got that going. So now, you know, instead of just maybe going to a triplex, maybe you say, okay, well, maybe I could look at a fourplex or even a fiveplex. You get that one going. Again, it's just a it's just a way of growing. And the bigger deals you start doing, the more comfortable you are and the less of a stretch the next step seems. Yeah. And it really, that in conjunction with socializing these, these ideas. And like I mentioned, I had the good fortune about being in a brokerage and I saw all these commercial deals happening. And like you said, sometimes the people, eh, if they can do it, you know, you start thinking, I'm pretty sure I could do it. I'm pretty sure I know some other people that can do it. And then I kind of got that out of being in brokerage where I know a lot of people out there listening, they don't have that avenue or they don't work, say in the field. And that's where listening to podcasts, going up to meetups, checking up local real estate groups, that's where you start socializing. And then you're around people that, wow, no, no, it is possible. All these people around me are doing it. Yeah. It becomes normal. Exactly. Jesse, this has been a lot of fun. I know you've got an amazing podcast yourself. I was had the pleasure of being interviewed on it not that long ago. If people want to find out more about Jesse Fergali and what you're up to, what should they do? Yeah, you can go wherever you listen to podcasts, Working Capital, the real estate podcast. And oftentimes I'm I'm on Instagram and I, you know, people DM me there. I'm happy to answer. And that's Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Fergale, F-R-A-G-A-L-E. And yeah, feel free to shout out if you have any questions. Very good. Awesome, my friend. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right, everybody, take care. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, hey there, thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, Investor attractionbook.com. Take care.